You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. So I've been asked to introduce these two, this conversation series, this, these two interviews. And to be honest, it's quite difficult because the, this concept of island life and the, the topic and the, the opportunities and conversations that have sprung up from it are um, quite immense and it's hard to bring it down into a simple format. Um, and it's quite emotional. Um, so in, I'll try my best to do that um, and give a little bit of personal history and background into why that might be difficult or emotional. Um, so the, there's two people who I'm speaking to today. One doesn't want to be named because um, he's nervous about potentially revealing um, certain stories or information around the um, crayfishing industry and the fishing industries on the Abrolhos Islands that um, some people might not want to know. Um, and I met him through a friend of mine who I am happy to name. Her name is Amber. And we met, me and Amber met on the island of Wajima earlier this year in, in March during the Perth Festival. And I've just got back from spending a few days on Wajima and when I got back I found out that I have ancestors buried there um, or relatives. Um, and I'm not sure how many people who are listening to this, probably not many know the history of Wajima but it's a very dark history that is now used as a it's a very dark history that was a it was a prison island where a lot of aboriginal people were taken from their homelands all across western australia and brought over there to um be imprisoned and eventually die um and the treatment was sickening um and it's now used as a holiday destination for um tourists um and there's still unmarked graves and burial sites that haven't been moved um, and very little progress has been made in terms of some, some recently. Um, primarily, I think that the, someone apologised, the head of the Rottlist Island Authority, I believe, apologised to the descendants, um, but there was very little publicity about it. But, yeah, that's a really complex... I have a complex history with that place particularly... Um, I grew up there as a teenager, going there as going there as a fat, you know, as a as a child with my family and having holidays and swimming in the ocean and going fishing and I learned to ride a bike there. I still remember it was a red little BMX bike with trainer wheels. Um, I remember when the trainer wheels came off, and I remember my dad holding me and 
letting me ride along without it. Um, so it holds a lot of special memories in the immediate sense to my life. Um, and then when I was a teenager and I was going to private school in Western Australia in Perth um, and I'd go over there with fam- like with family and then we would, us, you know, the, the teenagers would all get together and we'd sneak booze and get people to buy us alcohol and we'd go off into the dunes at Pinky's Beach and have, you know, clumsy early sexual mis- mis- misadventures all completely intoxicated and... Um, I mean, without saying that that's, you know, that's my life, so it's not, I'm not going to say it's tragic, but there is a kind of definitely some deep things to explore about the way that we, um, the context of that, of having groups of teenagers learning to relate to each other through an alcohol fueled um, haze on an island that was up until very recently a, um, you know, in a wider context, obviously, um, a burial ground on a side of incredible um, tragedy and sadness and that hasn't been resolved um, and I guess that's why this 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 concept of island life has sort of hit me quite strongly because it's like wow that's like so much of my identity is caught up in this in this place in how it's used now how it was used then how it's changed um, how I you know f- fell in love with people for the first time, had, you know, early sexual experiences, got drunk for the first time, made friends who I'm still friends with and family friends and had all, all lots of beautiful experiences too. I mean, not that they're not beautiful, but they're, they're, they're complicated looking back on them. Um, and, you know, I always knew it as Roto, as most people do, Rottnest Island. Um, and there's some progress being made towards calling it Wajamat, which is what it should be called. Um, but even that's that's taking off pretty slowly. Um, but the, yeah, the experience that I had earlier this year um, and when I was over there with my friend Amber, um, after having been on the, I guess, the sort of emotional journey that I've been on in the last few years in terms of, you know, more deeply reconnecting with um, my culture and people and history and process of truth-telling and feeling out all of those kinds of things, which is, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to do so in the, in the capacity that I have. Um, and it's only a, a minor thing, uh, you know, well, not a minor thing, but it's a, the beginning of a journey, I guess. Um, and, yeah, I had the opportunity to kind of come back to revisit Wajima in the context of listening to the Noongar stories of that place um, through Uncle Barry Maguire and, and others during this um, series, during this, this artwork at the Perth Festival called Witness Stand by Tim and Maddie Flynn. Um, and I was doing back of house and so I listened to the shows every night and my friend Amber was doing front of house and there was three or four shows a week and we would go over to Rottnest and we'd or go over to Wajamup and we'd stay there for a night and um, then come back and then go back on the ferry each day to participate in this show and set it up. And so we sat there every night on, on this island at the western end, um, sorry, the eastern end of the island, 
sitting on the sand, listening to Noongar stories about this place. Um, and they really, they got deep into us and we could feel them resonate and they were very moving and very sad and, and also very beautiful and amazing, an amazing work that I'm incredibly grateful to have been able to be a, be a part of. Um, and me and Amber developed a friendship and it was interesting that she was then teaching at the school that I went to when I was, when I had my, all those other early experiences. When I guess the, the knowledge of that history, you know, I, I was aware of my Aboriginal um, ancestry and, and, and identity, but I didn't, I didn't identify as a teenager in the, not the culture that I was in, I was in, um, I didn't even really know what identification meant. I, I knew I was Aboriginal and, you know, I spoke about it, but I didn't know the history. I wasn't connected to it in a way that I could feel, I guess, that, that history of, of Wajamup. Um, I remember actually at one point, um, on our year eight camp going over to Scotch with our house groups, meeting everyone for the first time, um, so when I say I didn't identify, I did. Um, it sort of, I guess it kind of got squashed out of me a bit from five years of schooling because I remember in year eight, first week, Rottnest camp, and one of my, the boys in my house group was being racist and bad-mouthing Aboriginal people. And I warned him a few times and he didn't say, and he stopped. I think he was, you know, enjoying the provocation. Um, and I fucking launched myself at him in the bunk rooms and started like punching him, attacked him as a, you know, as effectively as a little 13 year old can. Um, and you know, all my housemates were a bit shocked by that. But by the time I left that school after, you know, endless attempts to try and sort of, or ask people nicely not to say the word boom or whatever, it just kind of, yeah. When you also, you know, as you get to know the people who, you know, some, when your friends are doing it, you're like, oh, I mean, I know these are good people. We are like, I feel their goodness. I don't know what they don't mean by it. This is just, it's just ignorance. But it's hard to sort of keep, you can't, it's hard to keep making enemies out of people who are doing that. And it's hard to keep that, you know, without the language or the culture around you or the support in that way, it can be very isolating. Um, and to the point where, you know, it's, it's also dangerous place you know it's a scary place in a lot of ways big old all boys school um you know it's a proper jungle so you got to be pretty staunch little warrior to be you know combat that the whole time and you know i wasn't i was uh i was only as yeah i guess because i started out like that in year eight but then yeah things change and being back in that place, I felt like I was a teenager again, experiencing, it was like some, like a time warp where I had gone back in time to sort of revisit my relationship with that place in, in the way that with, with, with the, the right, or uh, well, more closely with a, with a more right relationship. You know, if I'm think, thinking about the idea of being in right relationship with place, um, how I had grown up was not in right relationship with, with Wajima. And being there and hearing those stories and hearing that truth-telling um, 
and it was a very healing process and feeling yeah incredibly grateful to have that opportunity to do that um to be reconnected to that place in a way that's more meaningful Australia story, yeah. or yeah, it's um, it's like it's one of those, you know, yeah. sort of like when we know that everything, you know, the yeah. softness and the hardness and things have emerged and changed, and yeah. conscious perception relative to this human being yeah. sort of current form. It's like you can't, what do you, you know? Yeah. So if you do go to Wajmap, you'll see. Um, typical in the limestone art or if you want to call it art but made of some things that would you know etched into the um the limestone yeah emu's footprints i recall near um armstrong bay yeah underwater under no, 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 right at the edge all oh, right yeah. no i was just there the other day but i, I didn't i didn't go yeah and uh, there's a few other things as well that point to uh, it being attached and then you've got um, uh, Karnak Island yeah which we call Ngulamayam which is part of the entrails of a, um, a lizard stomach and you've got um, Meandip which is Garden Island yeah um, which is the tail of the lizard. Oh, it's a lizard. I thought it was a crocodile. A lot of people say crocodile. Yeah. But I think a crocodile is still a lizard. It's true. Yeah. But my angle is the crocodile that wasn't, because I believe it was Megalania. Ah. They used to live there. The Megalania is giant goannas. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they swam out ancient story about it swimming out there and, and uh, being chased by animals and then sharks doing their thing out there and biting off the tails and bits and pieces and gradually that story goes all the way then up to two rocks yeah and the last um, throes of its life that um, lizard then went onto the land and then crawled back over the ridge into the valley and um, there's a lake there that it, where it crawled into a low-lying area which now is a lake and the oil from its body was seeping into which makes me think even more that it was goanna because goanna oil is stealing mm and that soaked into the sand and the lake filled up in years to come and left this healing place called Nowaga which is just past uh, oh, a couple of roads out there which which direction heading up to the Antrip road uh, up the north, road yeah. north of the city of Perth the big song line goes along that um, that valley all the way to Yanchip. Yep. And um, then the other side of Yanchip is 
sort of feeds in through the countryside and goes into the Moor River. Yeah. And the catchment of the Moor River. Yeah, up in that area. There's that same sunline. Yeah. Yeah. There's a stock route on it now. Yeah. Used to take uh, horses, cows and sheep and other animals to the north. Yeah. Were those um, islands used by Noongar people like since the sort of waters rose? I don't think so. There was no, no need to. Yeah. Because everything they needed was on the edge of the mainland. Yeah. Um, and one of them out there, called Kuruna, is uh, a burial ground. Yeah. Ancient, ancient burial ground. Well, they never took the people out there to bury them. After the sea level rose, they didn't have to. And they buried them in another spot on the mainland. Yeah. And of course, Kuradup today is called Karana. Ah, okay. So this is an island off the coast of Karana? Or no. Karana itself? Oh, the the, uh, the Kuradup part of it. Kurukur also meant a long time ago. Um, that's how it used to be way back. Yeah. And it was just a sandy ridge. And now that's a breeding place for crayfish. There are, yeah. you know, when the whites, what they call the whites, the come in. Ocean, yeah. 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 And they come in and, oh, there's tons and tons of them crawling across this sandy yeah. little area if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And you know their migratory movements, and a lot of crayfish fishermen eventually worked it out. Yeah, and um, they migrate to their main dreaming place, which is uh, the mouth of the Granite River. Granite River. Granite. Granite River. Where's that? Just south of Geraldton. Okay. There's some beautiful flats there. Yeah. I mean. When George Gray went up there looking for arable land to grow crops and set up homes and villages and things, he came across this beautiful flat area. And I think something like this in his journal he wrote. Um, I've come across these flats and think one day they have the potential to be the uh, food bowl of Australia. Right. That's uh, how we describe it. Yeah. So, um, so these are like on the on the flats on the banks of the yeah. river. We call them Bukara. Um, Bukara. Um, Bukara means flat. Is that that particular or like place? Or like a was cloak, you know? Yeah. Is that that particular place or anything like the flats next to the next to any exactly. river? That particular place. Okay. <clears throat> but any river that's got those flats is similar because what happens is the soil comes down with the river from inland yeah. and spreads across the flat areas. Yeah. And in so doing covers it with ochre and sand and things that have been washed down from inland. Yeah. 
and then it goes down and when it goes down it leaves this beautiful blanket or cloak of red yeah and that's what happens at the granite every time it floods yeah and since settlement it's more of a grey colour because it's running off the cleared land uh, and bringing a lot more of what they call barna in Yamaji language which means sand yeah whereas before it used to be mirda mirda is ochre uh, and uh, midar is to dance and um, yeah the mirda and that's the two serpents were fighting and that's how they created the flat yeah right and it's nice and then Vimara is the Yamaji serpent. Yeah. And Wagal is the Yunga serpent. Yeah. So when it's got the red cloak over it, which is Barna and, and um, Oka from Yamaji country, it belongs to Barna. Yeah. It belongs to Vimara. Yeah. The serpent from there. So when the Oka's come down from the, in the yep. flood. And <laughs> yeah. And yeah. when the rain falls, it washes it down into the ground and it goes back to grey and brown again. And that's when it's, it's Wagga country, Yunga country. Yeah, right. But they share it. Yeah. Which makes common sense. And is it, that, that's a freshwater river, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's also that point of sharing is about yeah. sharing the water too. Yeah, you know, it is. Yeah. Well, that first big spring, just near Walkaway, Wolgawa. Wolgawa means uh, at night you see colours dancing in the sky like they are now. Yeah. Well, that's the southern aurora, people call it. You see it from there? Oh, we used to. Yeah, right. That was the first time I ever seen it was there. Wow. My dad took me down there when I was with the stepper. Yeah. And um, took us up on top of a hill there at Wolgawa. You could see to the south, slightly east of south. Yeah. And um, just weird to see the colour just move through the sky. Yeah. yeah. Like a serpent. Yeah, sorry, my friend whose parents live in Tassie showed me, he showed me a photo the other day of their, oh, yeah. their farm recently. Yeah, yeah, on the 4th uh, they were seeing it too. Yeah. This month. Yeah, I had no idea you could see it from. Yeah, but, a lot of people don't realise it's uh, solar flares for the sun. Yeah. And when they reach us, they're full of all this energy. You know? mm. And uh, rays. And that's what causes it interacting with our um, light. And there's a great expanse of water, the reflection of that, and all this tributes to this southern light. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah. Was, um, what was the relationship like between Yamaji and Yuma? It was pretty good. Yeah. Because Yamaji girls, uh, Yamaji um, used to wait for the girls to be taken up there from here. And girls were taken in groups of seven and married into a Yamaji. 
Does that have anything to do with Seven Sisters? Yep. Yeah. To boost their gene pool. Yeah. That's the main focus of it. And a lot of people don't know that. But we worshipped our ancestors because our ancestors, the original ones, people, were present um, when the great spiritual creator gave them the knowledge about all of this, you know? Yeah. And then when a child is born, the people in the um, Aboriginal world would give them an ancestor who'd lived a long, long time ago, dead and buried, along a songline, and then they'd bring that knowledge forward to this child. Tell the child all about that, and that's how they kept the knowledge coming forward from the ancestors. All the way. You need to sit down and think about it. Yeah. Because the rest of the people are in such a hurry. The last thing they've got time to do is sit down and actually think about all this. And Aboriginal people did exactly that. They sat down listen to the spirit and abided by its direction that governed everything. Yeah. And it will bring the answers forward too for those who doubt it mm. in the future. Because our, our world's about symbols, not writing. Yeah. Symbols. Yeah. And you put the story into the symbols. Yeah. And when you do that, it's easy to remember. Yeah. Really easy. Yeah. Because you sing it. You know, you look at the symbol and you sing the story into the symbol. The shape of it. Each line, each curve. You know, and um, it's a memory code. Yeah. It's a code. Quite simple. Yeah. You know, the modern world is all about codes as well, but that's like numerical yeah and also the alphabet yeah and um, our world's about the codes but ours is is about a genealogy yeah that's the depth of it and then that gives you kinship skin groups which connects you then to totems which give you responsibility you see because we all get spiritual gifts we all get a purpose yeah and your spiritual gift may not necessarily be the same as the purpose you've got and then as you have this social order and everything that's connected to that you find that everything is connected physically and spiritually mm. and a lot of people shy away from the spiritual stuff because the way that the spiritual world now is Christianity mm. that's come here. And people are just leaving it in droves because it's a guilt trip. Well, it's not intended to be a guilt trip. And there's a lot of abuse and stuff that happened, and not, not just like a sexual yeah. kind of abuse, yeah. but just like all sorts. Just, just yeah. going through school systems and yeah. stuff. Like, I know yep. a lot of my, like my dad's yep. brothers and stuff, they sort of reject Christianity yeah. out. Everyone right? goes. 
hate it because they had these like yeah. brutal headmasters and yeah. teachers and they don't want to know. cane and it was all just like, it's like traumatic to these kids. But who knows? It might be predestined. Mm. Who's to say it isn't? Yeah. And I'm leaning towards that in my own personal development. Yeah. Because true spirituality you build from the inside. Yeah. Not the outside in. Yeah. The inside out. Yeah. And so it's you, like the response yeah, to that yeah. can be the sort of, yeah. And once you've got it there, then, you know, your um, identity. And once you know your identity, you know where you belong. Mm. And once you know your identity and where you belong, then you know the responsibility that goes with it. That's really all you need. way other things come into it like finding your spiritual uh, gift of the spirit world and nurturing that and then understanding your um, purpose for being yeah and once you got those that's the code you're well and truly connected in yeah. It's, the... it's not not that simple to understand. But once you do, uh, it's I like feel riding like I, a bike. I feel like I understand it too. Once you ride a bike, you never forget. You know. Yeah. It's balance. I am. Um, it's funny. The last time we spoke, um, I think it was whether, whether it was here or Kings Park. I can't remember where we were when um, mm. when you told me the story of the the butterfly. Oh yeah. Um, and I've since come to understand that particular butterfly as being yeah. my personal totem. Um, Yours would be a moth. Yeah. Butterfly for women. Okay. Um, for them, it's soft and gentle on the landscape. Yeah. For males, it's humility. Yeah, right. And moths ooze humility. Because if there's a flickering flame which can do the most damage in a landscape, the moth will fly straight at it. Yeah. Sacrificing its own self and trying to put it out. Yeah, right. They don't just fly at flames because they think it's good fun. Yeah. They do that because that's their characteristic. Stopping fires. Yeah. yeah. That's their purpose. Is that a... Um that story about the um, about that, that particular blue butterfly, the Western Jewel, um, the one that's in Nakadapa, yeah, or Hydrolocka, the one that comes out of the raised by the ants. Oh yeah, in the um, thing that was um, when yeah when I heard that story that was like uh, and I sort of like it resonated and um, yeah. back to it later. Mm -hmm. And it felt like exactly the process that I had undergone okay. in my life, yep. weirdly, in that kind of like having been raised in this kind of way and yeah. having this kind of, it's sort of hard to explain, but it just resonated really strongly. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, that was... Uh, yes. Yeah. So I've sort of, that's sort of been, uh, I've understood that from, uh, yeah. About it, but, um, yeah. but once the island was formed, there was 
no need for our people going here. Yeah. So there was no need for boats. Who knows, a log might have floated by and they ventured out on a log. Bloody long way, nearly 20 k's to wake them up. And um, if they're close ones, you know, no problems. But Harrison Island, that, that, was, that wasn't the island like it is now. That was a series of, series of little mud um, areas that, you know, were shallow. The water was shallow. And people crossed there. Always crossed there. Yeah. Women and children, as well as the males. And it was easy to cross. Yeah. And Harrison Island, you know, I remember seeing it in the 1950s, late 1950s, that they had machineries working like scrapers, you know, those big things that bowls on them that scrape the dirt up and load their cells. And then they took it out there and just kept going around and around and built the island into one great big one. Whereas before it was a series of just little muddy. So they filled it in or dug it up? They filled it in. Yeah. They filled the island and joined it into one big one. Yeah. You know, instead of a series of little ones. Well, what was that for? Just for like land ma easy, easy land management? For crossing, save them building well, um, lots, big lots of little right bridges, yeah. They just had to do two sections. Yeah. And they were over. Is, um, it's, yeah, I mean, with, like, cult culturally, the kind of, like, yeah. culture that springs up on the islands now, whether that's in Wajimap or Abrolos, yeah. um, obviously, Wajimap's sort of tourism, and then Abrolos is kind of industry, with yeah. tourism sort of springing up there as well. It's very, there's, like, the crayfish is obviously a big focus of both of them. Yeah, we'll pick it up. Yeah. Um, and that's what you get over there at the Abrolhos as well. Yeah. And then there's the shipwrecks on the Abrolhos. The Dutch shipwrecks. Yeah. And the Batavia. It was 1629, somewhere around there. Yeah. She was a brand new ship. First voyage. Came around Africa. Came with good paper, I think it was. Yeah. And hit the Roaring Forties, and that was their expressway to get to Java. Yeah, to Batavia yeah. itself. Yeah, Bata which became Batavia later. Yeah. And um, and they hit that wind and just fly across the ocean, basically. Yeah. And cut many weeks off their journey. And um, then they'd get into Java. And uh, they were trading different things, you know. Spices and... Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this, the Batavia is such a wild story. Oh, gosh, yeah. Horrific. Yeah. Joseph, uh, uh, what's his name? Conrad. No, not Joseph Conrad, that's yeah. the other guy. Um, Cornelius. Yes. This horrible, horrible guy. Dutch guys, yeah. Big boned. Yeah. It must have been solid because they're only young men. Yeah, yeah. Big, big, big tall Dutch sailors. Yeah. Mm. 
They were built like brick toilets, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hello. Yeah, so you got all that history there for the island. And there's stories of, the, I think, some of the survivors from that. Yeah, uh, m mixing with Aboriginal people on the mainland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and there's like, it's been genetically yep. shown to have yeah. these traces of sort of Dutch yeah. heritage and some of the mobs up Shark there. Bay is one of them. Yeah, right. And then, could be well at Kalbarri too. I believe some of them were pretty sure there. Yeah. Which is just north of the town, on the north side of the river, in the dunes, there's a massive burial with uh, they're all from the same era yeah. because of some disease that came with them that wiped out a lot of our mob as well as with the Dutch yeah yeah and they're all buried there or you know whether it's an ancient burial ground over many many years yeah um, there need to be some research done Are there any crayfish, any stories involving the crayfish? Was the crayfish like a, a part of... For our mob? Yeah. Oh yeah, they were collected off the reef at night. Yeah. yeah. Off the reefs. Yeah. And they would have held a torch, you know, a burning branch of some sort. And just walked out on the reef. Just or, off the Or on a full moon. On a full moon you can see them. Yeah. And the water's only up to your knees. You see them all over the reef. Because yeah. I guess back in those days they would have been everywhere. Yeah, God, if there's a, the amount that they there are now when crazy. they're being industrially yeah. fished, you know. Yeah, I think it's one of the best um, controlled fishing industries I know of. Yeah, yeah, it seems we, to be that way. I mean, you I'm, can walk out on a reef, and, you know, there's dozens of them. Yeah, still today. Still today yeah. Just like, and the torch, you know. Um, a little sling or snare, you can get all you want. Yeah. Even a gidgey, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think you're allowed to spear them. Yeah, you're not. But, um, good pair the, of gloves. Yeah. Grab them. The, um, we used to get cousins of them off the reef. Coronation reef north of Geraldton. Yeah, right. When I was a kid. Yeah. Boil them up and. Yeah, they're very, very good eating, aren't they? Pick out on Christ. We've actually, I'm having some for dinner tonight because I <laughs> went over on Sunday to yeah. watch them up with my oh, friend yeah. and Dove got a, got a few. Yeah, my son Greg captured them for me. Yeah. I'm sick of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and last night we had chili crab down at his place because he's been up to Broome. Yeah. And they went up towards Derby there in the mangroves and got a heap of muddies. Yes. Yeah, he's been cooking them up for us. Yeah. He gets out and about. Catches Barra. Yeah. He lives up in Broome or? No, no, he lives here. Lives here. We've got a, a good friend who was a cray fisherman. I used to coach him at footy when he was a teenager. Yeah. And uh, his old man, oh, he was a tough old bugger. Yeah. He was a farmer and he just sold the farm up and said, I'm going crazy. And he bought a boat called the Trixie. Yeah. Got himself about 170 pots. Yeah. So they were really expensive then. And uh, went fishing. Did well. Up at the Brothers? No, this no. is south of Dongra. 
Clifford. He lived in Three Springs, where his original farm was, um, and um, that's where I used to coach the under 16 footy team and um, play there as well. Yeah. And uh, gradually got to know a lot of the locals. And our Christmases were spent on the coast. Yeah. As soon as the footy season was over, we were at the beach. Yeah. Do all sorts of fishing, mainly rod fishing. I, I like to fish, but some people prefer the boats. And you go out in the boats, fish till your heart beats, yeah. till the esky's full. I prefer spear fishing and yeah. rod fishing. Hard to concentrate on since I started spear fishing. Yep. Um, there was something that I wanted to ask you about with the um, a few things that I wrote down from that last chat we had, which yeah. was um, Tom Pepper, Shark Yep, Warrens. Warrens is the, uh, the that's the. The yam, yeah, yeah. Bura But then yeah, Bura the burgess and the fossilized crayfish and the down its ground. Oh, like yeah. the, it was a station. That's on the ground flats. On the ground of flats, yeah. yeah. So this is the, the flats the where the yeah. uh, on the border. Yeah. And you also said that that story about the um, so that Yamaji mob claim don't don't sort of acknowledge that story that the flats was like a part of was sometimes nah. it was considered Noongar culture Noongar nah, nah. land that's why they won't have trouble in jail yeah they're not abiding by the spirit the ancient spirit yeah if you don't abide by the spirit then you bug it yeah yeah I grew up with it you know, I was born in jail yeah I grew up in jail so you, are you Yamaji or Yunga? Well, I'm, I'm a Yunga. Yeah. That's on my dad's side. Yeah. He's from down here. But um, our family were with the Hammersleys. You know, since 1840, we've lived on the Hammersleys' property. Yeah. Under their guidance and protection. Because a lot of the mob were being killed out by the new settlers. Yeah. And Earl Grey went back to England in 1840. Or thereabouts. Well, the old guy. The old guy. Yeah, yeah. For the tea. Yeah. And he told them that all the Aboriginal people were being slaughtered here. Because there were nothing everywhere. And um, if they don't do something about it, there'd be no one left. Yeah. So the word came that land would no longer be able to be purchased freehold. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is the only state that's got it because of Earl Grey, it would have to be leasehold. Yeah. And that's why all the station properties are leasehold. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they still remain? After 1840. Yeah. The first convicts came here in 1850. Yeah. All the others that came here before then were free. Yeah. They weren't prisoners. Yeah. They weren't commies. 
Coventry is Prisoners of Mother England. Oh. That's the acronym. I didn't know that. Pommy, yes. Pommy. You heard of Pommy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Prisoner of Mother England. Yeah, okay. Pommy. So and, that, so and the first thing they did with him was settle in a flat. Yeah, right. In WA. With the convicts? Yeah. yeah. They all went up there and built all those beautiful stone buildings under the guidance of the locals. People like the Clinches, the Burgess, the Phillips, the Hammersleys, and so on. Yeah. You know, they're the ones who settled in front of flats. Was there an industry driving that? Like there was. That was they were called the Great Western Cattle Corporation. Okay. And they were very successful farmers at York. All of those names I've mentioned from York. Yeah. And Duncan's. Well, Duncan's might have gone there a bit later. But Lowe's, that's L-O-W-E. Yeah. They were there. Um, Tiny Lowe's, I think, was the first lot of them. Um, and they all picked the places they wanted them to grow flat. Prime, prime real estate. Yeah. And the Hammersley's got 80,000 acres. Just a big swathe of going off the flats and into the hills. Yeah. Massive. And the reason they wanted that was because springs in the hills there were these Beautiful, reliable springs. Water running all the time. Fresh as fresh. And, uh, so they got the choice to do. Yeah. And started farming it. Cleared it and farmed it. And they, they got... They got Our mob went up with them. Yeah. The nanups. Nanups, yeah. And the Hammersleys were horse people. And so... Grew up with them, you had no hope, you had to be a horseman. Yeah. And you'll see in the colonial records, particularly in newspaper clippings, where when the so called explorers went out, they had guides with them. And the Nanups and the Narriers were mostly the guides. Horses, horses. Yeah. yeah. They were given this land. Um, after, so Earl Grey went back and then yes. afterwards it was, they were given the land in order By to By 1850, the word got back here. Yeah. Okay. They had to take in the families and look after them. Okay, so it was like a yeah. take the land and yeah. it was like a protective kind of ge gesture. Move. Okay. Yeah. And because they had experienced farming in this area in York, yeah. around the Swan River and out in York, they call it there. Um, place on the river there. First place settled other than Perth. Guildford, Guildford, yeah. So, Hammersleys were right into that. So were the Browns. I forgot them before, Thomas Brown. He was a signatory. His son Kenneth was sent up there. Yeah. He was given a block. And so they set about cleaning it all up. What are you looking for, eh? Looking for something to eat? Away you go.
Hill, Roy Hill, Gina Reinhardt, Troy Hill. He said that's a, that's a, oh, the current mine. Rich. Yeah. Rich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very little of it's under 70% of iron ore. Pure iron ore. It's like, it's always funny to me that, that like, pat, like, you know, the, the, the need to extract the power that exists yeah. there, as opposed to being able to just sort of feel, interpret it and tell stories about it, mm -hmm. you know, there's no difference, no. except one is destructive and one's not, but it's like, mm. it's like a, yeah. you know, it's like, with places that have this, have power, yeah. and have, that are sacred and have this sort of power yeah. are the places where there is these kind of, you know, this sort of rich mineral places a lot of the time, whether it's sort of gold or diamonds or ore, but then they get sort of yeah. extracted and it's just, it's just shifted the location and changed mm -hmm. the balance and then you... Yeah. yeah, so when you go over the island, that's, that's the province. I'm not sure where you stay, but there's North Island, yeah. um, Long Island, Also, what's what I found kind of interesting is what he was sort of lamenting about, sort of what's happened recently with the introduction of the new quota yeah. um, and sort of some changes. He says it's become more sustainable. Yeah. But um, a lot of good fishermen are out. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of so a lot of the kind of culture yeah. that exists there yeah. as it's, you know, and he's sort of lamenting well, the Ian was that one culture. Of them. Ian, yeah. Ian Hunter, who the young fellow I and Greg goes, so my son goes up and stays with him, Brew. Yeah. Right. He sold all his stuff, you know, yeah. did really well because he had 170 pots at $30,000 a pot. Yeah, right. Big bucks. $30,000 yeah, a pot? Yeah, Licensed. Yeah, okay. A licensed pot. Right. It's not just a wooden thing with ropes and blades. Yeah, yeah. It's the license that goes with it, 30000 And he had 170 of them. <laughs> Three sevens of 21, that's 210 thousand dollars yeah and the other uh, over a million that's crazy yeah so yeah, 100 bucks a kilo there was the boat city there the new boat yeah we just flogged a lot bought a house up in broom and yeah. he's got one in three springs and he just follows the sun yeah he's still got three shacks on the beach at Cliffhead. yeah and a good life good life Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's driving a taxi now. Look at this thing falling on the ground. What is it? Here we go. It's 
gonna get interesting. You watch it. Little one will get held onto the ground now. I'll grab it by the head, back of the head, and hold it on the ground. They're teaching it. No, it just didn't happen. But I watched them doing that. Yeah, training. They're very close. I think oh, corporal punishment. I is think alive the other one well thought the big one was, was being attacked by the little one. Yeah. Soon put it in this club. Yeah, so um, yeah, a lot of them got out of it. I mean, when I was a kid, the Calbergs felt they massive fishing. Yeah. And they used to go out and have ropes, you know, that they fished in 40 fathoms. That was really deep. Yeah. They'd always come back 20 bags of crayfish stacked all over the boat, you know? Yeah. And um, big days. Long days, but make it huge money. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like dangerous work as well. Oh, yeah. And some of those oh, breakers and... Dummy breakers out there. Oh, yeah. You're gone. But if you fish on your own, you know, you get a rope around your leg. Yeah. And you've chucked your pot over. If anything, yeah, you're done. You can try everything you like. It'll cut your leg off or yeah. pull you over into the water. Yeah, got a good knife handy. Knife handy, and then yeah. that rope's not easy to cut. Yeah. Desperate times. Better for the little axe. So, what was the um, what was the the part, the, the bit that you mentioned the other day about the fossilized crayfish? Yes. At one of those stations. Well, they were in rocks were stacked in circles. Yeah. And. Um, the people, when they went there, found them, and they were obviously the dance grounds for our mob, yeah, right. where they did the ceremonies every four months. And um, they danced, made sure the crayfish were covered. Yeah. So it was a it was a like a crayfish oh, dance. Been, it would have been someone's totem would have been. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in they're in fossilized like in the ground. Yeah. Oh no, they were loose rock. Ah okay. They'd collected them and stuck them and everything they put them in a circle. Ah, they'd stuck the rocks in a fossil. Yeah. Ah wow. And the bird just picked up a lot of them and took them to their homestead. Yeah. Ornamental things I suppose around the garden. Yeah. The last woman I talked to, she was a bird just working at St John's Hospital in Geraldton. And she said, yeah, we still got some of them in the shed at our home. Yeah. The old shed. So they're on the farm, on the property. Yeah. yeah. They seem to just have lying around. Yeah. It seems to oh, be an interesting little chat to have with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's definitely high on the agenda when I go see there. them, you know? Yeah. Because it's one of the things I find so, so interesting about the sort of yeah. change is the relate the different the change in relationship between yeah. people and the and you know like the crayfish as an example yeah. where it's like there's not the same gratitude or reverence or you know it's just yep. like um, yeah well Kenneth Brown led a massacre through that lot yeah right I believe about three hundred three hundred no one. Knows. 
but that's uh, be interesting if they were Yamajis or whether they were Yunas. Yeah. Because people would have gathered there. What time of the year was it? You know, who, whose country was it? Yeah. Because we call it Yabra Pajara, which means the country to the north. Yeah. And Bukra is a Yunga word. Bukra is a kangaroo skin type. Yeah. And um, there's a place there called Utakara today. Well, Wudakara, Wuda is the Bongo speaker. Wudakara is where it has a sand bar. Yeah. It covers itself with the sand. In, in the little areas underneath the, um, the acacias. There's the um, wattles on the flats. Yeah. Today's wattles are the jam trees. We call it manga. 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 Jam trees. There's a round seed. Yeah. The largest acacia is round seed. The others are either flat or ovate. And when you, you know, when they fall, they'll roll on the soil. Yeah. When you get a bit of rain, you let the slope go. So that helps it spread. Well, when the bronze wing gets underneath those trees, interacting with the little mites that are in the sand, because they, they've got a little, well, when they when a bronze wing goes under them, it digs little gooers and has a sandbar. Yeah. That's what Wudakara means. Wudakara is the bronze wing pig. And if you listen, woo, you'll hear the You've got to listen really careful to hear that because if you don't hear that, you know it's a snake. Because yeah. there's a black they snake called a norn. And the norn goes, no, no, no. Really? Yeah. That snake's made a tiger snake. And it's calling a female. Yeah. And. Oh, so it's not impersonating the no. bird to try no. and hunt it? To listen, you go, you'll hear me out. Listen, gotta be dead quiet, but I can hear that. And that's why they're called a wuda. That's a country indigenous name in our language. Wuda, wuda, wuda. They they're down here as well. Or, yeah, right there. Listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.